Plan A, this is Teen. Uh, I got a special guest today. Q, Q, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, Teen? How you doing? Apologize for that. The, we, we were already well into the discussion that we're about to have, but then my mic conked out, and it's it, I, it, it's my fault. It but happens. Great to have you back on in, uh, I don't know, it's been a couple of years since you've been on, but we've, we we yeah. chop it up on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, we, um, yeah we, we talk on Twitter all the time. As a matter of fact, like I really uh, I miss the Plan A, folks. Right. Yeah, we're good friends. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh, you know, uh, Jess and um, oh god, I just I just know their names on Chris, oh, Jess, Chris, yeah. and yeah. Uh, there was Adam. one more. Is that his Adam? Name? Was it? Yeah. Okay, I just I just know him by his Twitter name. Okay, and I, feel, I feel really weird addressing him by his Twitter name. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we you know and and uh, you well you had this tweet recently which um we had been we had been discussing for a few minutes uh already. And it was the one by was her was her what was her name? Uh, uh, I believe it was Wei Ling Ling. Wei Ling Ling from she's a China course she's the chief China's correspondent for the Wall Street Journal, and she was you know tweeting about she was at the uh, the Belt and Road uh, found a forum Belt, Belt and Road, Road forum, forum yeah. in China yeah. covering it, and she had a tweet about. I don't know, whatever about the about the menu and yeah, she tweeted a picture of the menu. Um, and you know, I mean, here's the thing: the menu. Okay, let me start from the very beginning. When you're at an event like the Belt and Road Forum, right? Like you're there. It's it's just one of those. It's an economic forum. It's boring. There's not really much to talk about. So I could understand tweeting out a picture and trying to make a joke. It's just the kind of joke that she made. It it took a little while for me to understand what she was doing. Which was like making fun of, I don't know, I guess like the Chinese inability to decipher how translations of their words would come across to English speakers. So she tweets out, uh, who says China has no friends? Let's toast at the Belt and Road Forum, a.k.a. Barf. Yeah, with a picture of the menu. Picture of the menu. And then the menu. uh, Okay, so like there's, um, let's see. Uh, song. Let, okay, I guess it's the program list. It's not even a menu. It's a program list. Uh, starting with the song "Let's Toast Friend" uh, by the performer Wu Pan and Liu Yang. But there's there was a you know on the on the menu. Um, I guess uh, let's see where is it? Braised seasonal vegetables, steamed chicken with mushrooms, crispy fried duck. Oh, there we go. Steamed, S T E A M D E. Steamed mandarin in fish soy sauce. So people were uh, commenting about how. The English words were misspelled. My first thought is, man, who gives a fuck? Like you're you're at their event. They're Chinese speakers. They were gracious enough to try and translate into your language so that you could understand what it was that you were either ordering or were being served. And you're gonna make fun. It's like how many how many English speakers are fluent Chinese speakers? And and uh, when I saw the responses, like the uh, the people were. Uh, people that were responding to her and quote tweeting her, like they were all making fun of the Chinese as if they're just these like, you know, these adorable little goofballs that just don't really know what they're doing. And it, it made me so upset because I, this is like a very common thing that happens in Western countries is to make other countries, whether it's uh, China, whether it's uh, Russia, whether it's uh, various like African countries that aren't South Africa, make them seem as if they're like lovable little scamps. 
that hardly know what they're doing, but also this like this great menace that's an existential threat. This happens in, in Middle Eastern countries as well. And it really bothers me because like America is getting lapped by these countries right now. Like there's the, there's a new sort of order coalescing. I don't even like to call it the global south. It's really just like everything outside of the Western sphere, right? Um, pretty much. Yeah, like we say the global south pretty much to say as if like uh, these are countries that are like underdeveloped uh, countries that, you know, we, we used to call them like J.D. Pond, joint dictatorship of the proletariat of oppressed nations and so on and so on. But now like these nations, I mean, granted, while they are still, you know, affected by Western hegemony, they're now starting to, to break out and create their own economic and trading spheres. Plus, I, I think Russia would probably be, I don't know if you would include them in that, but I would as a as a tentpole yeah. power in that. And they're not. They're not Southern, you know? No, 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 I mean, not at all. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, this, I mean, this goes way for, beyond just, you know, some generalized view of this equatorial belt as being underdeveloped or whatever. I mean, you know. No, every, every time that Russia okay. says they're going to shut off supplies to some European country or another, they, you know, they fly into a panic because they were depending on cheap resources exported from Russia. So these countries, I think, realize now that they have um, Western or the global north by the balls. Uh, so the uh, the threat of not being able to have access to cheap resources is what's driving people nuts right now. And what really bothers me is there's there's like a class of journalists that back around like 2014, 15, 16, especially during the Trump years, their job was to translate or decipher um, their culture for white Western audiences. So where it came to... Uh, Asian culture, what I saw at the very least, like I, you know, I can't speak on it because I'm not Asian myself, but what I, from what I saw, it's almost like there was a class of Asian people and they usually, you know, they they tended to be like rich liberals, college educated, you know, writing for Slate or BuzzFeed or some publication or another. And what they would do is, is uh, try to convince readers that Asian people are like the next worst thing to white people. But we're we're not white people, but we're we're almost like white people Mm -hmm. and blame the issues that white supremacy pretty much inflicts on all the rest of us on Asian complicity. I, I mean, like, I, I don't want to get into the weeds on, you know, the, the whole like uh, affirmative action lawsuit and so on. I don't, I don't get into the weeds on all that. But what we're, what we're talking about is generally very rich people kind of like flouting their ability um, to shift things in their favor. But then they end up blaming that on all Asian people as if everybody from your local grocer uh, you know, anybody that like owns a, uh, anybody that like owns a grocery store or a corner store has the exact same amount of power as somebody whose kid is applying to Harvard. You know what Wait, I mean? I mean, I mean, because these people are always trashing, uh, yeah. you know, and I see this a lot, like the Asian small business owners always go to like the Korean beauty shop owners or bodega owners as, as part of the problem. Um, they're not really targeting um, Asian American, uh, you know, venture capitalists or Asian American and people um, who work in Silicon Valley. Or, yeah, you know, they're not really going after those people. They they pretend like they are, but in reality, they're they're going after um, small they're business deflecting owners. It. Here's and what they'll do. Yeah, yeah, what they'll do is um, they'll talk about diversity, equity, inclusion for some like tech company or for some financial company, and so on, and. But they won't take any of the blame themselves except to say, oh, we don't hire enough of X, Y, and Z people. Now, they're not going to give up their own positions, obviously. They're not going to give up their own positions or salaries. They're not going to give up their columns or their speaking gigs and so on. But they will defer the blame to people that are barely keeping it together, like people that are barely getting by. And I recognize a lot of that in my community as well. 
uh, Caribbeans, for example, would do the exact same shit. I used to hate this so much because the second wave of Caribbean immigrants to the United States, especially in the late 90s and 2000s, um, these weren't people that were working as domestic workers like housekeepers or personal support workers. These weren't people that were agricultural workers or tradespeople. These weren't nurses even. These were bankers, lawyers, doctors, etc. Uh, the first wave of Jamaican um, expats to the United States were, for the most part, domestic and agricultural workers. And I think because there was a like an image of Jamaicans as being very hard and diligent workers, then the second wave kind of benefited from that. But then they would talk shit on black Americans and they would try to talk about the black experience as if they knew something about what black Americans go through and almost like blame black people who, you know, were descended from, uh, from the slavery area. Like their, their ancestors were, were uh, enslaved people and, and freedmen. They would talk shit on them as if they should become more industrious. And I see the same thing happening from like Nigerians now. Um, Nigeria, I, I mean, I'm going to say this straight up. Nigeria is the most embarrassing part of the diaspora. And they talk so much shit on black Americans. It makes me sick. But yeah, I, I see Asian Americans as doing a very similar thing. So getting back to Wei Ling Ling, now she um, works for the Wall Street Journal. She's the chief China correspondent. Um, she wrote a book called Superpower Showdown, which you can find on HarperCollins. And her bio interested me. Her bio says she came of age as a journalist in New York and then returned to China in early 2011 to report on changes in her homeland. Oh, it's her homeland? Well, she hailed from a farm province in southeastern China. Um, and I guess she, she worked there until Ch or from 2011 until China expelled journal or Wall Street Journal reporters in the spring of 2020. So it's gone from lib Asian liberals trying to act as if every Asian person is in on some sort of secret conspiracy with white people to Asian journalists trying to decipher for white audiences what the sinister motives of China really are. And the way that they do this is they, they just make these little in-jokes just to poke, poke fun at the Chinese. The whole like Xi Jinping as a teddy bear or poking fun at like authoritarian failure in Hong Kong. And so, but it, just, it makes me sick because I'm like, don't you have any respect for yourself? Because I know the people that you're trying to suck up to by doing this shit, they don't respect you. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, it happens all the time. Um, and I think, um, I think there is an aspect of this, which is about seeking, I, I think in media, it's particularly bad because they're supposed to be pushing out narratives about Asian people or about Asia. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think in that context, I think, um, like Bloomberg, for example, if you go to Bloomberg, I mean, they hire almost when, whenever they hire Asian correspondents, they're almost exclusively Asian women. And are hired specifically to um, talk trash from an quote insider point of view, meaning I can say whatever the fuck I want about China, uh, trash it, yeah. you know, be whatever. But I'm Chinese, so I have an extra level of credibility. And you can't attack Bloomberg for being yeah. racist because they had a Chinese person say it. Um, I think media is a particularly uh, is particularly shitty when it comes to this. Because we're talking about Asian um, liberal elite diaspora who are working sort of in the Ministry of Propaganda, right? So they, they have to get vetted extra hard. Mm. But I, I think there's subtle aspects of this. You were bringing up in the first part of the recording that's now um, 
when we first started recording uh, about how we both worked in the securities industry and don't they don't respect this. But I mean, yeah, I don't think that in this the securities world is a little different because they're eager to do business with China, so they're not as anti-Chinese. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the financial world is more just like straight up making money, so they don't really profit no, off yeah, the, the, shitty yeah, narratives. The, you're right. The financial world no. doesn't really give a shit one way or the other. Um, no, what the Chinese really do. No, yeah. as long as they can make money of it, off of yeah. it, they're fine. But I, yeah. what I was saying, though, or I guess what I'm what I was trying to get across was that people who do this, and I'm not, you know, it's not necessarily in relation to just how the Chinese function. It's more so when people get hired to work at uh, you know larger corporate entities. A lot of people will try to brown nose by making themselves seem like they're the special case, and that you know, the reason that they don't have more people of that particular group is because there's something wrong with people of that particular group. They're the special one. I see this I see this a lot with black people in the financial industry, making it seem as if they're the special case. They're the success story. Their parents were probably like upper middle class. They very likely went to a very good school. They may not have even needed scholarships. So they make it seem as if they're the same as every other black person and we all have the same opportunities and we all have the same 24 hours. And they they do these really weird they have this really weird tick where they just have to shit on black people in front of their peers and superiors almost to make it seem as if, hey, guys, I'm on your side. And I'll tell you, from my experience in working in that industry, you want to get around people who are, who are at like senior VP level or the C level. They don't respect that. As a matter of fact, they likely respect it more if you just stand up for yourself. You know what I mean? Like nobody, nobody likes an ass kisser. I think that's right. I, 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 you know, this phenomenon is something that was probably part of the reason why we even started Escape from Planet A. <laughs> yeah. Is because, you know, in terms of like media output, um, you know, like it was pretty much just all people like that, and we would dunk on them. We would we would rip apart their their arguments. You know, we would uh, you know make fun of them or whatever. But then I realized like they're they're actually, I think the now okay. I'm 45 now, so I'm like, yo, second half of my life, I can reflect oh, back. You older, older than me and shit. God damn, I'm pretty old, dude. Yeah, uh, I'm still doing it on Twitter. I I I just fucking love. You should Twitter, be writing man. books now. <laughs> yeah, no, I no one's reading books, so why write them? You know. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah, you should be doing video essays on YouTube. Yeah, and getting dunked on by Gen Z. On yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think when I look back on the first half uh, of, you know, the, the first half of my life mm. is that, you know, it is it is actually really hard being diaspora. Um, it's embarrassing it, sometimes, isn't it? It's hard because it's a racist society. Yeah. And you the thing about diaspora is it requires like a very observant and, and reactive mind where you're constantly scanning to see like what what is the level of bias and racism against people like me and how do I exist in harmony with that because right. I have to and so that creates this thing where like I, and I've noticed this with Asian Americans in particular mm-hmm. that they don't see especially younger ones they don't seem California's a little different because there's so many of them out there and they're very dominant uh, in in certain parts so mm-hmm. they don't they don't feel that pressure as much, but like outside of like really dense areas of Asians, like Asians, people become very, um, uh, a little bit quiet and a big, and I think because they're being observant, 
they're they're mm-hmm. not in their head. They're sort of like trying to see themselves from the perspective of the people that they're trying to get along with. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so double consciousness. It's yeah, it's a it's a double it's a well, yeah, it is a double consciousness. No, you know what? Double consciousness to me seems like where you actually want to go or in a way it's like it's actually double consciousness to me seemed to me almost like bilingualism where you could kind of con- code switch a little bit context switch. no no that's more so no double consciousness is that you're not only you're not only um thinking of yourself but you're not only thinking through your eyes but you're also thinking about the way that other people observe you oh like you're cognizant I you're cognizant that other people are seeing you as different from themselves uh, okay okay yeah. then that's what exactly what this is yeah, I agree with that. And um, that's a Du Bois uh, idea, right? Yeah, W.E.B. Du Bois. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's exactly what it is. And what happens is, I think, that you people don't like double consciousness. Hmm. It, it feels weird to... to to it, it, it feels like um, you're just... It's, it's an extreme form of self-consciousness. It's, it's a very anxious state. Hmm. And so what you need to do is really a like you need to create an authentic genuine identity where all the things that the racist the ge- the prevailing racism against you right you decode you've learned it you've decoded it and you have to be genuinely apologetic about those aspects of your race or culture or both you have to be genuinely apologetic about that stuff and so therefore, and then you realize that that's not very easy because you may not feel apologetic about it. And then you have to go deeper. If you really want to go down that route of assimilation, you've got to go deeper to the point where you actually feel the racism against. You know how, you know how I deal with it? Mm. I deal with it by being a fucking chauvinist. For and, your and own. That's why, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I deal with it by being, I'm a, I, I'm a, a Jamaican Chauvinist. I'm an African chauvinist. I'm a Jamaican chauvinist in that we have. I'm sorry. We, we got we got the best fucking cooking in the world, right? We just do. It's very good. <laughs> it's very fucking good. You know, we for for such. You a, say you guys are in the running with Haiti. Ah, uh, listen, man. Haitians, oh, really? talk, Haitians will Haitian. always talk shit. I can't think of a single. I can't. Uh, you know, I, I hope how patients are listening to this. But I can't think of a single Haitian dish that I like. Oh, um, shit. Somebody said some shit the other day. Oh, Haitians and Nigerians have the best. Co- uh, I was like, and Nigerians? Have <laughs> you tasted their jollof rice? Um, I know I'm a, I'm a chauvinist for Jamaican culture, not just for the cooking, but also for the culture generally. For such a small country, I believe we've had an incredibly outsized influence on the world. I, I, I would say based on the size of the population, based on the size of the culture, based on our, based on our, own, on our own history, the amount of the, the knock-on effects that are music, language, uh, food, all that that has had on the rest of the world, I think is way disproportionate to the size of our country. Sure. The thing is, like, but so I'm a, I'm a very, and because I've, I've done so much um, research on the history of Jamaica, I'm just a very out and proud Jamaican. Sports. I'm, I'm, well, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. not, not, you know, not just Olympic sports, but I mean like mm-hmm. sports, period. You, you get a Jamaican athlete into almost any sport and they will, they will excel. Mm-hmm. There's something that we, we take a lot of pride in is excellence. We take a lot of pride in, um, you know, producing very smart, well-educated students. Even, even in a, because my family doesn't come from Kingston or uh, Montego Bay or any of the the more well-known places. We come from a small little parish called Portland, which is on the east coast of Jamaica. 
um, it's it's a it's farming country. My family were all they were all farmers and carpenters, uh, but there was a school uh, nearby called Titchfield Academy, and that school has produced some of the most. It, it, it's a it's a primary school, but the people who go to that school have such a, a great preparation for the rest of their lives. I'm talking about like Colin Harris's dad, for example, went to Titchfield. Um, my stepfather went to Titchfield, you know, and he's a uh, he's a, a well respected engineer. Um, as a matter of fact, he's doing some work in Indonesia right now. Um, it, people who've gone to Titchfield have gone on to become, you know, C-level executives. They've gone on to become uh, elected MPs and so on. So you just really have to take a whole lot of pride in your heritage. It's not and, easy, though. Uh, I mean, it, it, I guess if you let if you let I don't think it's that white easy. people I, get in I your think, head about it. No, I know. But I think that in all fairness, that yeah. it, looking back on my life, hmm. you're up against a lot. Uh, in ter- and, yeah. and I'm Chinese. We don't even really get it that hard, man. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, the the really really nasty, rabid xenophobia is really only the past, I, w- I would say, five to six years. Yeah. Uh, and in those five to six years is the is the first time where I started to take more of what you're saying. I'm a pro Chinese chauvinist now. Mm. In reaction to that, going, dude, I'm not going to go along with this shit. Yeah. But the number of things I was willing to go along with prior to that, where it wasn't. You know, it didn't feel as obviously wrong, right? The things that they were saying about you. Well, it became so clownish. People, people make it seem as if people make it seem as if there's something wrong with being a Chinese chauvinist, as if no. They, every time, yeah, it, it, people make it seem as if, for example, if you're if you're an American, that uh, the that the Chinese are somehow doing something wrong, that they're doing something wrong to Africans, that the Chinese in America are doing something wrong to Black people, and 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 meanwhile. Which country or which you know which which block of nations is proliferating the most evil in the entire world, and which block of nations depends on the rest of the world being completely underdeveloped? You know what a liberal would say. What's that? You know, we we could we could be against both. We can we can we (sighs) criticize the United States. We should be able to criticize, you know, our home, you know, China as well, or you know, whatever. I mean, they they say that, but are they but are they really critical? No, they're, example, they're not, no, no. Well, well, they're saying yeah. they, they are critical, but the thing is, like, they're they're totally supportive. What are they doing about it? Of starting a war it? against China or or whatever country, yeah. and then when it comes to the United States, you know, deploy a million pussy hats to Washington D.C. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. they they want to they want to support um, they want to support people in Hong Kong, knocking over elderly women, and um, beating up anybody who's not waving the British flag. Oh yeah, they want to they want to support that. But in their own home country, they'll say "stop Asian hate." It's just like, yeah. Which, which one? Which, which you want to you want to start a war with China? But at the same time, like you, you're okay with the virulent, xenophobic, scare tactics that China is committing a genocide on on Uyghur people, that China is spying on its citizens or all of its citizens. China is a repressive authoritarian state, and all these buzzwords, and everything that China does, America is ten times as guilty of. I think you know how many you know how many police shootings. That resulted in death have happened in China in the last, I think it was like five years. It's probably, it's probably, you can count it on probably on like two, two hands. Yeah. Two. It's, it's yeah. Two. Yeah. It's two. Really low. Do you know how many happened in, in America? Countless. In, in, over the same yeah. time period. Over 5,000. Yeah. Go fuck yourself talking about police states or the prison state. America has the most prisoners in the entire world. Oh, it's you not even, you it's, don't just it's have a, to stop there. It's you're, insane. You're, you're, you don't <laughs> the just number have to of stop prisoners, there. yeah. Yeah, but look at it. Look at it this way: if China st- every time, because this happens every single time that America tries to blockade 
trade with China. If America stopped exporting all like just had a complete blockade of exported goods to the United States, do you think that the Chinese economy would collapse? But let me let me ask you this question. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying, but who are you yeah. convincing here? I agree with you. No, what, what, you no, agree what, I'm with say, what I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to say is uh-huh. you, you don't need to listen to these people because Americans are in an, America is in a completely inferior and vulnerable position compared to some of these countries, especially China. Like China doesn't need America. But we all know, but I think we're starting to realize this. I think yeah. the, the, the thing that I am interested in now is sort of like kind of picking these people apart psychologically because... Mm. I do think that there are valuable lessons to learn for everyone in terms yeah. of how these, these these are pathological specimens as far as I'm concerned. Well, I, and, and me, but but I think yeah, that yeah, the the good. the pathology of them is is worth understanding because everyone is susceptible to it. I think that they just for whatever reason either a mixture of their own uh, personal insecurities mm-hmm. and their chosen field. A lot of these people are looking for attention and 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 they're 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 going for fame and visibility and you know whatever. Yeah. And 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 a lot of those people have weird narcissistic personalities that are quite fragile. <laughs> so they're already sort of out there a little bit. And then on top of that they're going into the most racist uh industry of them all, which is media. Right. And 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 then you see what happens. It's 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 like they're they're perfect, ex, like almost experiments to see, like how far, what level of damage, the the you know the that that racism plays on people who are trying to assimilate. And and, and that's my question. I think it, what, it shows at, the at this point. At yeah. this point, why even bother trying to assimilate? Because you you live here. Uh, you, no, but you don't have to assimilate. But you do. You can, you can, no, you don't. You can put your head down and do your work. Like the, the way that I look at it is this. When I go to work, my coworkers are not my friends. They're people that I work with. Uh, if, I put down, if I put my head down and do my work, I don't have to bag on my own culture. Or I, I, don't, I don't have to shit talk people of my background or people who look like me in order to get ahead. I can just put my head down and do my work. I, I think what happens with a lot of people is, and, and I used to, be susceptible to this mindset <clears throat> is that you almost have to fit into a culture in order to make it work. And I'm saying you absolutely do not have to do that. Right. You I, don't I, have I, to I think, do it, but I'm saying yeah. that that's an unfair position to put someone in. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be that yeah, way. Those I'm not are, saying those are should... table stakes though. That, that's, that's, we that's already, their whole listen, life. That's their whole life. That's table. That's table stakes, bro. Like that, from that's our just perspective, awesome, it is, yeah, but from the perspective yeah. of a young kid, it's everything. I mean, you know what I mean? It's not that easy. Yeah. I mean, we have the we I'm saying we have the perspective and yeah. context and a life an entire life full of experience to draw on. Mm-hmm. Kids don't have that luxury. Yeah, but this you know? the Wailing Lean lady is not a kid. She's a grown woman. No, no, she's an example of what happens if it goes wrong. I yeah. you know, like uh, I'm just saying I have Oh more... yeah, I don't, I don't even think I, I mentioned what I had said to her. And I, I felt Yeah, yeah, I felt... oh yeah, read the <laughs> <laughs> I, I I almost felt you bad. Got locked. You got locked. You got twelve hours. You got yeah, a twelve, got a 12 hour, hour timeout. Um, yeah. I know that she must have caught on and had somebody uh, report me. But I, I, I said, and when, when I when I saw her tweet, you know, making fun of like the Belt and Road Forum and their food and the the, the misspellings on the menu, I said, I know how badly this is going to be received, but fuck it. What is it about working in Western media that turns Chinese diasporics into absolute cum dumpsters? 
<laughs> question. I felt I felt bad after I tweeted it. <laughs> you shouldn't. No, hold you on. Shouldn't. And, then, and then you you're showed up, up and you're like, world. "What?" Yeah, you're, you're basically you're basically saying world. questions that need answers. I was like, "Oh shit, okay." You know he the one thing that. that she can't handle, What's a that? woman like her, is a black person calling her out on it. She doesn't know how to handle mm. that. If an Asian person calls her out on it, she knows how to condescend towards other Asians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If a white person calls her out on it. Um, let me think. If a white person were to call her out on it, she can it, just call it misogynist or racist or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But I think if a black person calls her out, she's she she's just like I got to report this. <laughs> He's got to go to jail. He's got to go to Twitter jail. Black guy's got to go. Yeah, to Twitter jail. yeah. She picked up more from the white ladies than she thinks she does. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it, it was just, it was embarrassing though. Why would you why would you say that? I I just I don't know, man. Like I understand what you're what you're trying to get at here, which is you know what do you say to young people who feel pressured to assimilate into whatever? Like media is the absolute worst of them all. Yeah. Right. When you yeah. when you work in media, you. I mean, it's one of the reasons that I haven't really published anything in a long time. Like I don't know if you've you like you've noticed I haven't uh, posted any links to stuff that I've written for the Washington Post and Ray Claims or the Globe and Mail or whatever mm-hmm. because I've I've just at this point almost gotten sick of it. And if I hadn't before, I definitely would now. The Russia Ukraine shit that had already soured my view on journalism, but this um, Israel Palestine shit it's it's gotten to the point now where I'm like. I don't have anything positive to say, to say to anybody. There's nothing that I could write that any major news publication would actually run. Yes, because we live in like the next iteration of like an evil genocidal yeah. nation. There's yeah. like yeah, yeah, we're doing. Uh, I'm sorry, but I know that sounds it, a lot of. I think the truth is very dramatic. <laughs> you know, oh, it it's a it's a very dramatic uh, truth, which is that we're living within a pretty fucking evil society, probably the worst one on earth right now. I and I will um, say I have not seen like it's almost like um especially you liberal white women, holy shit. They have oh, gone ape shit lately. Holy smokes the way they talk about Palestinians. Yeah. Right? And yeah. and I see like the way that they talk about Chinese too. You know, the way they were um the way that they were talking about Russians, the way that they would talk about African countries, i.e. Niger, Mali, when when these countries realize that there's nothing to be gained by continuing to do business with and operating under the or operating under subservience to the West, and they throw off the yoke, it's almost like you've done something to insult them personally, and and now you have you have white women. I'm sorry, but like whatever whatever issues that um whatever issues that have caused European. Uh, like white European Christians to turn on white European Jewish people. I think at some point the rest of us have to say, yeah, that ain't got shit to do with us. We exactly. Do do with it's not my problem. Look, I mean, I, 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 I didn't, we didn't do this shit. Okay. Yeah. So I'm why, not going to be bullied and cowed into saying that 1200 dead or, or 200 was it 260 dead yeah. concert goers. Yeah. I'm not any more upset about that than the 50 dead in Las Vegas. I'm not. Yeah. It, yeah. it and and we didn't lose our fucking minds about Las Vegas, mm-hmm. okay? The world didn't have to stop. Actually, it should have stopped. We should have looked at what happened in Las Vegas and done something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, or after the Tennessee shooting, when that congressman from Texas or from Tennessee from ten- his own state, yeah, said 
we're not going to do anything to fix this. And he meant that like, you know, we're not going to do anything to fix yeah. this. But then yeah. the Senate votes 97 to zero to say, yeah, we're going to like the second we get a speaker, we're sending all the money to Israel. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't give like, I'm not even saying this is a Chinese person. I'm saying this is a fucking American. That shit is shameful. Like you're va- and they're literally saying this was 15 911s, meaning every Israeli life yeah. that was lost is equal to 15 dead Americans. I'm like, bro, when the fuck did we agree to this exchange? Rate? You know, the yeah, what kind of what Zimbabwean the exchange rate? And, yeah. and the wildest part, it was a black dude that said it, Richie Torres. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, Richie Torres. What? A I'm like, I can't. Every cock. time he tweets, I just, I just respond to him and I say, hey, Tori, listen, man. They're not going to like you. Look at you. Look in the mirror. You're yeah. even darker than the ones they're trying to kill. Well, he just wants to all go right. cruising. He just wants to go cruising in Tel Aviv. That's all it is, right? He, he does this. He does this to get like Israeli dick on the side. There's no. Well, there's he, no real he, he was just ripping on Chinese. Pe- he rips on Chinese people all day too. Yeah. It's insane. No, it's it, I, I I fucking hate that dude with like the from the bottom of I don't hate a lot of people. I genuinely hate Richie Torres. Richie Torres is disgusting. An absolute. I mean, we we all have, we all have these like different words for black people that like you know are, are are sellouts to white people, which I will not repeat on this podcast. But I will say that um, there's something there's something rotten inside of the soul of black yes. people that that and it, it comes from access to uh, power, and it comes from access to money, and it comes from access to sex. To be perfectly honest, and the way that this dude talks about anti-semitism it's like any time that you say anything critical of the state of israel whether it's coming from black people or anybody else it's it's anti-semitism and it has to be squashed he doesn't give a shit about anything else nothing he, he does not care and the the part that hurt me the most and it's not just richie torres you know a lot, a lot of a lot of black people working in politics and media will do this exact same shit is that they almost have to apologize or things that we had nothing to do with in the first place in order to even address the conversation. So, for example, do you remember when, as a matter of fact, my friend Rory reminded me about this. It's funny because Rory was a white dude. And um, the story that I'm about to tell you, like, he was actually one of the people that said to me, like, hey, bro, you're in the right on this one. Like, these people are full of shit. Uh, do you remember when uh, Kanye and Kyrie Irving were going through their tribulations? Yep. Kyrie Irving had like linked to a documentary on Amazon. All he did was like provide a link. He didn't even say anything about it. Provide yeah. a link to a documentary on Amazon by the black Hebrew Israelites. And then Kanye did that Kanye shit. And it was like every black person felt the need to come out and make a personal statement. We are not anti-Semitic. And it's just like, what Same thing kind of happened to Ice Cube too, yeah. right? Wasn't he yeah. apologized to? Dude, they all, they tried to make Jamie... Well, actually, I think Jamie Foxx did apologize. But yeah, he, he, he had like a... a life-threatening condition and i guess after coming out the other side of it and regaining consciousness and being able to tweet again something must have happened with because he didn't really elaborate on this something must have happened with people that he thought he could trust and apparently couldn't so he made an instagram post. Kanye? and it's like no no jamie fox oh jamie fox okay yeah jamie mm. fox made an instagram post saying you know if you if uh, if they betrayed jesus they will trade you they'll betray you too he was talking about false friends i.e if a if a disciple of Jesus would betray him, what makes you think that your friends won't betray you too? But I, I, I don't know what it was. Like the ADL woke up that morning and decided that they just wanted more smoke with black people. So the ADL made a statement. Every fucking Jewish celebrity made a statement. Um, Jennifer Aniston made a statement. And they were all upset. 
that Jamie Foxx would say something so anti-Semitic. And it's like, he wasn't even fucking talking about you. Why are you guys always on the alert for this shit? From black people especially. What the fuck have we ever done to you? Now, I could turn around and talk about what it is that, say, for example, Sephardic Jewish people have done to us, i.e. they were participants in this. I mean, not just participants. They were major participants in the slave trade, especially in Brazil and Jamaica and, and, uh, and Barbados. But anytime you bring that stuff up, it's like you, you have to almost apologize for it first. Or you have to, like, you know, afford nuance or... And it's just like, I'm at the point now where I'm like, I'm just not willing to do that anymore. I'm just not. Where it comes to um, talking about, um, uh, where it comes to talking about, for example, like uh, uh, Israel-Palestine, I have no intention on uh, doing, engaging in any sort of qualifying statement about Hamas and terror. I have no interest in doing that. When it comes to talking about Africa, I have no interest in talking about warlords or dictators or child soldiers. I have no interest in talking about any of that shit because they condition us to, to do that. Like we have to apologize for conditions that they put on us. You know what I mean? I think that this, I think that this um, is going to rip America apart, man. I think I, this I, war is going to rip America so. apart. I, oh, I, well, I do. The, uh, the Israel-Palestine war? Yeah. I don't think so. I think what I think, I think was what's gradually happening is that a lot of people who have felt like they have to qualify themselves to white people in order to be taken seriously are beginning to realize, wait a second, I don't have to take them seriously. They don't know anything. Like what, like what, what, why, why do I have, why do I have to be a scholar? Uh, let me put it this way. Israel is coming to the United States, not just Israel, but Israeli interests like APAC, for example. Um, is APAC, Israel, American Israeli Political Action Committee. They come to Americans and they lobby Washington to, to the tune of hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on a yearly basis. And they say that this, this needs to go to the state of Israel to protect itself because Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East or whatever the fuck they say. So Israel comes to the United States and says, you need to give us money. And if you say, hang on, what are you doing with that money? And I may not even really agree with how it is that you're spending it. If you're going to spend that money to lock up Gazans in a concentration camp, I don't like that. They say, how dare you question us? That makes you an anti-Semite. What, are you sympathetic with the Nazis? To which I would say, fuck you. I don't owe you shit. The fuck, what, did I, what did I ever do to you? What did my people ever do to you? You know what I mean? I, I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to this, this idea that like, I, I don't need to be well, well, that's why a say, scholar to say I don't owe you shit. Well, okay, but that's why I say that we're going to get torn apart. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because, it, it, well, let me explain. Yeah. Let me explain. Okay, okay. Yeah. The reason I think we're going to get torn apart is because the idea that – okay. You see those like 700 or so, or those students, um, not 700, the, the, the students that are getting um, doxxed over at Harvard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for signing that letter. Well, they've yeah. got, you know, their job offers rescinded, uh, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. New Yorker did an article on it. And they talked to one of the uh, students. You know, I think she's, uh, um, she's Arab American. I don't, I don't yeah. think she's Palestinian per se. Right. And she said, look, um, you know, as bad as this is, it's just like, you know, I think there's going to bring more solidarity if there were more Harvard students that signed up. Look, they can't, um, if there were 700 of us, all 700 of us stood up to this, you know, they can't ding us all, right? So hopefully this brings solidarity. And I thought, no, they're going to ding you all. Yeah. <laughs> trust me. Trust. Here's the reason is because the, 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 um, 
Israel and our allegiance to Israel is not negotiable. It is a core function. It's a core state function, meaning the whole fucking reason yeah. that we well, I mean, have Norman, a lot of Norman these Norman Finkelstein wrote about this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole reason here is, one, to support Israel as the spear of, you know, as the spear of American force, right? Yeah, American, and, American imperialism okay, overseas, yeah. The Gazans, okay, they're fucked. Why? They're the rebels in Star Wars. The whole reason you work for the ISB, the Imperial Security Bureau, is to kill rebels. Okay. Now, the ISB may implement, uh, you know, um, materna maternity leave. They may have diversity initiatives. They may be woke. They may have, you know, all sorts, you know, the, well, they, you know the, the, they may promote women over men. Yeah. POC over white. All sorts of stuff. Modern workplace, man. But the one thing you cannot fucking do is write a letter in support of the rebels because it is your job to kill them. The whole reason we're fucking here is to do that. Yeah. So it's going to rip us apart because I think that we realize suddenly like maybe a lot of us don't have the stomach for this or we didn't even realize that this was a lot of us just didn't realize that this was the core state function. And I think that for going back to the diaspora, you know, who end up um, you know, constantly assimilating themselves into the racism directed at their own kind, thinking yeah. that their ability to part... See, it's all these weird rationaliz rationalizations, right? If they will accept me as part of their racism, then it's not really racism. How would... If they're really racist against Chinese and they let which, me be which, which the chief China you, correspondent, how can they be racist? And that's why I called that lady a cum dumpster. Yeah. Because really... Like it doesn't matter what amount of dick writing you do, they will never accept you. Yeah, but that, she, you know, but she's. Yeah. I'm telling you, they're not even going for acceptance. Mm -hmm. They're going just for basic, like psychological coherence. That's my point. Mm. They're I, going. I, they're, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Here's here's my thing. I think it's up to the rest of us that actually have some shame and some sense of personal dignity to absolutely fucking ruin the self esteem of those people personally. That's what that's what I think. That's fine, I, I but think I think world I, events see, are going to do it for see, uh, them. When I see, I think world I see events somebody, are going to do it for them. Hold on, when I see somebody like Emmanuel Acho, I don't know if you've you've seen him. He's a former football player, and now he's like a like a media personality. And he he um he's all the time on Sports Channel. I forget if he's on ESPN or Fox Sports. It's one of those two, probably Fox Sports. Always talking shit on black. Always talking shit on black people. And it's like, bro, you're not from you're not from America. You're Nigerian. What are you doing? I think it's the responsibility of the rest of us that have some self-esteem and realize that we don't have to suck the farts out of white people's asses to absolutely humiliate them at every opportunity. That's it. Like there's, cause here's the thing, right? As it is, but, you, but, 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 but it doesn't work. It does. It, it can. You know they're, why they're, it doesn't hold work? On. The reason, the reason they're like that is because they think that only white people can reward or punish them. That's, that's the reason that they're like that. Right. I, I think, I think um, when, when those people are only useful insofar as their handlers see them as being useful, once they outlive their utility, they're gone. Right? I think you're being more charitable to them than I am. What do you mean? You're saying that there are these. You're, what you're basically saying is that he is a rational actor. Okay, maybe he has bad beliefs, like bad assumptions going in, meaning he thinks only white people can reward him or whatever. Yeah. And so he's playing this game. 
he's being strategic and you're saying our job is to ruin his strategy. Well, okay, saying- I'll give you I'll give you a good example. Look at somebody like um, Van Jones. Yeah. Van Jones got removed off of his own board. Jeff Bezos gave him Jeff Bezos gave him what was it like close to a billion dollars? Says, hey, hey, her, uh, take this money and go do whatever you need to do with it to get these black people off my back. He got removed off the board of his own uh, nonprofit. Same thing with um, Ibram Kendi. Uh-huh. Ibram, Ibram Kendi um, is now being investigated for misappropriating funds at Boston University. So, oh, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah and no, nobody, <laughs> nobody has any respect for these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Black Lives Matter people, like Black Lives Matter is a joke now. Who's, who's going to donate money to Black Lives Matter? Yeah. They've, they've torpedoed their credibility. The and CIA. No, no black person. Well, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I, I joke about that a lot, but I legitimately do think that, like, you know, some of those people were infiltrated, but uh, nobody black has any respect for them anymore. And they, they, they don't pull money like they used to, if at all, because they know that these people do not carry weight or credibility in the community. Okay, but my point is that you're still viewing them as rational, that they're, that they're just corrupt. No, they are, they are rational. They know what they're doing. They're not. They're I insane. Think- no, I think you're. I think you're. You're going easy on some of these people. No, I'm think, not. I'm saying. I'm, what I'm saying is that this is not simply a matter of incentives. This is a matter of psychological. Everything like, is incentives. Coherence. Come on, you're you're no. a game theory guy. Everything no. is. Incentives. I'm I'm not a game theory guy. I game oh, sorry, theory. You're you're a guy that you're you're a guy that's big into psych. I should I should put it that way. I'm saying that people at the end of the day, they need they need to believe in themselves as a genuine being. And so the level of internalization of these ideas, the racist ideas that they internalize, it's not an act. They really fucking believe it. What is internalization of a racist idea? What what it means is that the white racists who do it, they genuinely believe they're correct. It's not that they're like, hey, I'm a racist. That's not internalization. No, no. What I'm I'm saying is... No, I'm saying we say that a lot. We say like you know, people talk about like internalized racism, internalized misogyny, internalized homophobia. I don't. I think that when we I use haven't even these offered terms, a definition of it yet. <laughs> sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. My bad. Go ahead. Uh, no, I mean it's it doesn't matter. I'm just here, no, I'm, go ahead, go ahead. It, you're not going to accept my definition of it. But what I'm saying is that sure. the it doesn't really matter because the point I'm trying to make yeah. is that to view them as simply rational actors. You're not really you're not really attacking them at the point of weakness, because if you're attacking their rational, like let's say you take okay, well only white people can hurt or harm you. Well, it's true. No, that's what for, they for, think. For purposes of what they want, mm. it's true. There's nothing that like black media people can offer a person like him. He knows he's not going to get it from them, and he's not. He knows. Here's the other thing. Yeah. He knows he's not going to be able to say the things that he wants to say, which is all the racist shit. That's I, what he I wants understand. to say. That's that's what no, I'm saying. It's I, I internalized. That. Yeah. No, I, no, I get that. What I'm saying, though, is that I think you're taking it easy on them or at least you're letting them off the hook just a little bit. Because I, I completely understand what you're saying. It's like, well, if I want to work in this industry, I have to play ball or else I can't work in this industry. I completely understand that. To which I say then why do you want to work in the industry under, under those conditions? Why? Oh, they can make any rationalization they want. Hey, you know, we need a foot in the door. 
We no. need people to get their first yeah. foot in the door, and then all you know, we'll and then we're gonna break in. You know, that's what Ken Jong. When did. has that ever worked? Look at Ken Jong. What about Ken Jong? He 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 stuck his foot in the door, and now there's all these uh, Asian American movies being made. They're not very good, but you know. I, I was just gonna say, and how do you feel about them, Teen? I don't give a shit. I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for them. Yeah. I'm happy for them, but I've, it's always been about them, not us. It's, they're not doing it for the me. Only, I the thing I hate like about the, Asian yeah. Hollywood is they keep mm. saying that they're doing it for us. I'm like, no, you're not. You're doing it for no. yourself. It's the same, sh- it, dude. It's the same shit that I see like uh, black creatives say, and they they talk as if like they're the first generation of black creatives ever to, to do anything, as if you know we 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 don't have a rich history within Hollywood already. So they'll they'll pretend like a Sydney Poitier doesn't exist. They'll pretend like a um, John Singleton doesn't exist. They'll, they'll pretend that they were the first to have ever done anything. Um, and I kind of feel like this is what's happening right now with um, a resurgence of, of uh, Asian American cinema. It's almost as if like they think that they're the first ones ever to have done anything. Yeah, it's, it's just it's absolutely not true. Um, but what I'm saying is, yes, you can say that uh, Ken Jeong being in Hollywood and making complete caricatures of himself has gotten Asian people's foot in the door. Just the same way that I could say, well, Issa Rae, having that show Insecure, got black people's foot in the door for Hollywood once again. But then the question you have to ask yourself is, okay, and what has that done? What has been the result of that? When you look at it, rich. Issa Rae is famous. Yeah, it's good for them. Yes, exactly. So so you're not, what I'm saying is you're not, this, this, what I'm saying is that this approach is not going to hurt them. If you're saying that the goal is to humiliate oh. and hurt these people, oh, yeah, you're yeah, not sure, going sure, sure. to. Oh, yeah, no, it's fine. Okay, but that okay. Uh, Issa Rae or, or Ken Jeong is not the same as, uh, not the same as like an Emmanuel Acho. Not the same as Rosalind Talosan. You know, there are people that are still trying to get a come up by either um, practicing caricatures or shitting on their own people. But what I'm saying is, I, I think a lot of that well has dried up. And right? the, you know what? They're still going to do it. I know. So what I'm saying is it. But why? But but they're, they're going to do it even though the wells dried up. You know why? Yeah. Why? Because they genuinely believe this shit. They gen- I, yeah. I'm telling you, dude. The, the, no, it I, is, I, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. I'm sure. They, and what I'm saying is it, it's kind of up to the rest of us to. Because, uh, I mean, what you're doing with Escape from Planet, I think, is, is, a, is a step in that direction. Is that we need to create our own parallel industries. I'm not saying completely segregate ourselves off from the mainstream. But I'm saying create our own parallel industries and offer people better incentives to want to work with their own people rather than trying to assimilate in the mainstream because look what that's gotten us so far. And for, just, those people, for those people that, that do want to assimilate into the mainstream regardless, what I'm saying is that, like, yeah, we just have to make them ashamed of... All right, maybe I'll make them ashamed of that. I have no actually... I have no care about what they think psychologically. But I think we have to like make sure that other people know that they're just not respected in the community when they do that. Yeah, well, and the reason that I think that that should be done, but I think it should be done with care and maturity mm. um, and insight. Because one, because it's going to be far more devastating if you do it that way to them, mm. is because we need to use them as cautionary tales so that other people don't follow yeah. in their footsteps. That's the you, key. You know, who's a really, you know who's really good at this? I don't know if you follow Dr. Tommy Curry on Twitter. I know who he is. Yeah. He has been so good at this. And I think he's actually... He's That's actually, why they hate him so much, because he's oh, too effective. Yeah. But he, he has inspired, I think... The one thing that he did 
so well. And I, I, I will always have respect for him for it because he inspired uh, a friend of mine. Right? I don't know if you know, uh, he goes by Renny Tay on Twitter. Yeah, I don't say, yeah I don't no, he's been on name, the pod yeah. before, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Renny mm-hmm. is one of the most brilliant people that I've ever met. Renny is not uh, a PhD student. He's not a graduate. He's the, he's he's the mu- he plays drums or something, right? Is he, is he like the music? He's a musician? No, he's a boxer. Like a, huh? He's a boxer. Oh, then I'm thinking of someone else. Sorry. Okay. I'm thinking of someone else. Okay. No, no, Renny yeah. is a boxer. He, he's, okay. he's actually in school now. Mm-hmm. Renny, Renny doesn't have like a master's degree or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's, he's actually going, he's going through undergrad mm-hmm. right now. Right. And I've okay. seen him, I've seen him out argue people that are like full fledged tenure, tenure professors. Yeah. And what I'm saying is Dr. Tommy Curry did something that was so important was inspire a, a black men and also black women not, and not just like cisgender black men and black women. Um, I myself, I'm not heterosexual, you know, inspi- inspired me, inspired other LGBT black people to go right back down to the fundamentals, know your history and read your bibliographies. And there's nothing that any of these, um, these, like these, you know, intersectional people that, uh, uh, like these, these sort of these, these liberal black intersectionals that have just been speaking in vague diatribes for the last five or six years and trying to make the rest of us who aren't willing to go in lockstep with liberal feminist theory or China bad or black men or savages or any of this other shit, we're able to think and speak for ourselves. And I, I think that's, that's one of the solutions. I, I think he's done, he's done that so effectively that he's inspired a lot of other people to do the same thing. You have black dudes that would just like sit and listen to themselves be described in the most racist terms and not just by like white people, but by people who look like us call us savages and good for nothing and lazy and this, that, and the third abusive and rapists and all this shit. And now dudes are turning around and reading actual feminist literature, reading about historical figures, knowing their citations, knowing what arguments and counter arguments were made with this, that, or the third academic study. So now it's to the point where a lot of this stuff is just no longer effective. You don't really see people talking much about intersectional politics anymore because every time someone opens up their mouth to talk about intersectionality, you hear the rest of us go, shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. And by the way, here's the citation to prove that you don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 think, that's a, I think that's a really good place to start. I think, though, we got to be a little bit more, um, at least I think, towards the boba libs on the Asian side. Yeah. I do think I, I, I feel a little bit more empath uh I don't know what the word is. I, I, see, I see I see a lot of um I feel Asian sorry people. for them. No, I see a lot of Asian people getting pilled on this. Like for example, like mm-hmm. Aaron Stewart on, who by the way is like a, a, a brilliant screenwriter. Um he he used to I won't say he was he was a bubble lib or anything like that, but I he was very kind of like in lockstep with intersectional politics and so on. And over the last maybe two years, I've mm-hmm. seen him really start to push back on these narratives about Asian men, especially. Uh, what do they call these guys? Uh, uh, MR Asians? Yeah, MR Asians. I've seen him really mm-hmm. push back on that shit. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's that's going along the same lines as, as what Dr. Tommy Curry went down, which was to study what it is that people are saying about you, figure out whether or not it's actually true historically, and if it turns out that there's an actual counter-narrative then push that counter narrative is the truth is on your side. 
He had to leave the country. Did he? Tommy Curry, isn't he in like... Well, Tommy Curry, oh, yeah, I thought you meant Aaron Stewart on. Yeah, Tommy Curry yeah. had to leave the country for a different reason, though. Oh, okay. And this, it, it, it kind of ties in. Mm-hmm. And what this was, was that um, he had, uh, during the course of a lecture, he was talking about um, Django Unchained. And he, he asked his students what I think is a fairly straightforward and reasonable question which is that in the course of a slave rebellion, and the reason he brought this up is because people were just very uncomfortable with the amount of blood and gore in Django Unchained, especially like blood and gore being shed by white people as Django and um, the uh, the doctor were blowing them away. And he said, well, in the course of a slave rebellion or in the course of a revolution against slavery, is it not common sense that white people would have to die? Which, of fucking course, white people have to die. This is one of these things, like, we've been, for example... Engaging in this back and forth set of apologetics over the Haitian Revolution for decades, and that, that's because thousands of French people, and they were basically like collaborators with uh, Napoleonic France to re-enslave Haitians, and they said that uh, there was a genocide against white people in Haiti. Well, there wasn't a genocide against white people; it was a massacre of French people, of white French people in Haiti. Um, the idea of white people dying in the course of a slave revolution is just unfathomable because. Black people, as, long, as well as everybody else, are just supposed to lay down and die until white people feel bad enough about it that they'll ease up just a little bit. Yeah. And what Tommy Curry was saying was, no, if, there's, if this is an actual revolution, then white folks are going to die. Well, Rod Dreher, I guess, got wind of it. and Oh, Rod made, Dreher was involved in this? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus so Rod Christ. Dreher got wind of it and then made some blog posts about Dr. Curry Basically insinuating that he was saying that he, he was insinuating that that Tommy Curry was saying kill Whitey, which is actually not what he not what he was saying. He was doing media analysis, right? So he ended up um, getting death threats and all kinds of. Uh, you know, I, I, I think his home address got doxxed, but I'm not sure. So I'm not going to 100 percent stand by that. But I know that like his personal information got out there. He was getting threatening emails, phone calls, etc. But his the where he was teaching, University of Texas, they didn't protect him. I doubt they would. No, they. He's a te- he's a tenured professor, mind you. They did nothing to protect him, and uh, he ended up leaving not just to um, another university in the United States. He left to the University of Edinburgh. Yeah. So yeah, but but the problem with that was when when it was reported that he ended up having to leave the country, and also the amount of harassment that he was facing. At first, there was public sympathy for him, especially from black academics. Until somebody said, hang on a second, I know about this guy. This is the guy that's been saying all that horrible shit about intersectionality. This is that misogynist professor. And then all of a sudden, public sentiment turned around. It's like, oh, well, glad to see him go. And it's just like, hang on a second. You, you all are happy to see white people run a black professor out of the country for talking about slave revolutions? Are you sure that's what you want to do? So the thing is, like, even though... They know it's in their absolute best interest to defend a guy like this, even if they don't, even if they don't drive with his his politics or with his his course of academic study. They should at least know if you make it okay for them to run a guy like him out of the country. What do you think is going to happen to you? And, and that's what I'm saying. They will, even if it means that white supremacists eke out a win and chase a black professor out of the country. They're happy to have that happen because he doesn't march in lockstep with their form of politics, which is in and of itself based in white supremacy. So what I'm saying is people like that 
have to know that the community does not respect them. You see that you're for black liberation, that you you want to live in a world free of white supremacy, but you're very happy when white supremacy gets you, it gets you the outcomes that you want. I think, though, there's a problem in that what happened to Tommy Curry in that story that you just told seems to me similar to what is happening now when you when you start supporting Palestinians and Gazans. Yeah. Which is to say that, okay, look, we're a liberal, open-minded, progressive society, yeah. but there are some core state functions. There's some core civilizational functions that this is all about. And I think one of them is to make sure that black men in particular do not have access, means, or justification to use violence. Based on history, that is a very thing that they, like the state is, it's not negotiable, you know? And, and I think mm -hmm. that once you cross these red lines that, you know, you're fucked. Um, and can I, can I say something though? Yeah. And like, I, I don't want to sound like, you know, I, I don't want to sound like some sort of revolutionary or whatever, but I'll, I'll put it this way. I think you just kind of have to, it's, it's one of two things. It's either your, it's either you 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 go along and keep your head down, which if you want to do that, fine. Or you get to keep your dignity. It's really just a choice between the two. If you really feel like you can just swallow your dignity, not your pride, but your dignity, like your self-respect, and say nothing, go ahead and do that. But if you actually want to feel like you have the slightest bit of self-respect, then you have to be able to say what is on your mind and in your heart and accept the consequences that come along with that. I'll put it this way. If it means that I would lose my job tomorrow, if let's say somebody found my tweets and then sent them to my boss said, Hey, look what he's saying about Israelis and Palestinians. Look, this guy, uh, this guy doesn't think that Hamas has to release the captives. This guy doesn't think that Israel has a right to defend itself or whatever the fuck. And I lose my job tomorrow. I'd say, eh, man, that sucks. Guess I got to start looking for another job. You think Curry was a coward for leaving the country then? Oh no, 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 absolutely not. No, no I'm he, asking that. Well, why not? Oh, because what, what, he didn't stand no, he, here. He, he didn't stand a, here and face it. He he fled no, he, the country. He interviewed at other universities though. Okay, well, but ultimately yeah. he had to leave. No, he had to leave because he couldn't find he couldn't find the work. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, 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 I agree. I, I, I think I would actually say that he took a more principled stand in the, in what he ended up doing because he went to the university of Edinburgh and then founded a, uh, a course of academic study where black men could look into and analyze themselves. That is like what it, what it was that he wanted to accomplish in the United States wasn't possible in the United States because once he ended up leaving university of Texas, it was effectively, I don't, I don't think he likes this term because I've used it before and he kind of stepped in to say, well, I wasn't dismissed, but in the legal sense, it is a constructive dismissal in the, in, in the sense that they make his work environment so toxic yeah, that yeah. he basically has to, like, he, he, he can't just continue yeah. working there, right? Mm -hmm. He interviewed at other universities and uh, couldn't find the kind of position that he wanted. Couldn't at least get the kind of position that he had at University of Texas. But then he, interview, he interviews at University of Edinburgh. They say, well, no, not only are we going to give you a tenured position, but if you want to expand on what it is that you were doing in the first place and create this program, sure will give you the opportunity to do so. So I would say, uh, no, that doesn't make him a coward. That actually makes him very brave to go out to Scotland and create that program elsewhere. And not only did he create the program, but there are black men that are going to University of Edinburgh to study under him. 
and disseminate that practice. I bring it up because I think a lot of people should be leaving the United States. Um, That that's my so my take on this now is that in terms of standing up to uh, standing up to it here or whatever, I think it's kind of ridiculous because it's not good. Look, there are very powerful forces that are standing up to a lot of this stuff. Maybe not what Curry's talking about, but let's take the, this uh, issue of Israel. There are CIA analysts, ex generals, deep state people. Now there's a contingent of state department officials that are going to resign in mass. And you know, it's not going to make a bit of difference. It's hopeless. These are red. These are absolute non-negotiable red lines. There's no point in saying this is what it is. The thing, it is what it is. Like there's no reforming this. So, and I think that the situation um, for a lot of black men is probably no different. It is uh, a, it's a, it's a, it's a prison colony. Uh, I looked at the 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 incarceration rates mm. um, in southern states, and if you, it's it, insane. It is, dude. There's no other country on earth that even comes close to the. We're talking about like 2,500 people per 100,000. Yeah, like two and a half to three percent of all the black of of all the, the the black male population is in prison. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing even close to that anywhere in the world. One out of three black um, men are going to have contact with the uh, with the prison system in the course of yeah. their lives, and a lot yeah. of that comes out of the southeastern states. Yeah, like they they're they're leading the curve on that one. I, so, I don't think that I don't think that I don't think that black like and if you ask black American men, I mean, I'm I'm not one myself, but based on my experience, and if you ask them, they would say, "No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm an American. I'm going to stay right here." But what I would say though is that. As a matter of fact, a lot of them will stand on their principles. A lot of them will say, like, nah, if I have to if I have to give up my identity and dance to the white man's tune in order to get what I want out of life, then no, I'm just not gonna do that. Um I, I think a lot of us could learn quite a bit from people that are like especially in um lower middle income families, they get by with what they have and they don't necessarily aspire to have everything in life because they know that hey some things are just going to be out of our reach if if we want to live life a certain way and for me for example it's easier to do if you have a strong community i think well yeah absolutely i'll I'll put Mm -hmm. it this way like i I, right now i I live in the community where i grew up and it's um very black i would say like the the two largest groups here are south asians like uh people from uh, india pakistan um and black caribbeans uh you know i've got a very strong community here um and one of the reasons that I haven't done writing in a little while is because that's the exact that was the exact problem that I had. I just didn't want to keep writing things about race and racism. That's not necessarily my wheel or it's it is my wheelhouse, but it's not all that I'm capable of doing. And when I would branch out into larger political interests, sometimes I could I could see exactly where the guardrails were. And for example, a story that I wanted to run was about Christia Freeland. And about her ties to far-right nationalist organizations from the Ukrainian-Canadian diaspora that had collaborated with Nazis. So it wasn't, it wasn't just that Christian Freeland's grandfather, Nazi, yeah. is that the entire community that she grew up in, they were yeah. all Nazi collaborators. That fact's been socialized quite a bit lately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and well, this, the funny thing was this, was, this was in 2021, long before it became like a wide, like now it's common yeah. knowledge that Christian Freeland is a Nazi. But this is back yeah. in 2021. Yeah. Um, it was known in Canada. I don't think it was that well known in the United States. And people knew about her grandfather. They didn't know about her association with far right 
Ukrainian nationalists. Okay. And I wanted to write a story about that. And my editor said, no, I don't think we can do that. I asked why. And she said, well, because our legal department is probably going to say no, we don't want to face a lawsuit or running something like that. Jeez. And then the following, and then the following week, and then the following week after we had that conversation, um, sorry, this was in 2021, it was 2022. Following week after we had that conversation, uh, an article by this complete fucking hack ran in the same publication talking about why Canadians should um, wholeheartedly support Ukraine. This is before Russia you know, invaded or did their special operation or whatever you want to call it. This is before that happened. But he, he ran an article where he, um, he listened in on a security forum that takes place um, in Canada every single year. He didn't actually interview anybody. He didn't have conversations. He didn't offer any pushback or nothing. He just basically acted as a stenographer. And even like the, uh, the former um, president of Ukraine, he took, it, he took his words down like note for note and just dropped it into the article. No pushback, no analysis, nothing. And I thought, if that's what I have to do in order to get ahead in this business, I will absolutely not fucking do that. And then the, the, the final nail in the coffin for me was after that publication was sold off to another media company and all of the old editorial staff were let go and replaced with newer people, I, I got assigned a new editor who asked me if I wanted to do a, a puff piece, basically, on this, uh, this black guy that was like a Bay Street, Bay Street in, in Toronto was like Wall Street in New York City. This, uh, this black Bay Street banker that had created this initiative for black Canadians called uh, True North or something, or, or Black North or something like that. And just, you know, about his, like, his whole like, story going from like, you know, lower middle class to being like a CEO and having the respect of Bay Street and all. It was basically just a puff piece on some fucking yeah. hedge fund manager. And I, I, I read that email probably about three or four times thinking, am I being trolled right now? Like this, is this like, is this really my new editor? I was actually going to write, I was going to write back to the same address and say, Hey, I just want to make sure that this is the, this is the correct person. You're my new editor. <laughs> and then B, yeah. I was like, what the fuck would make you think I would write something like that? Like what in my history of writing for this publication? I'm sure okay. he had other people write stuff like that. I mean, probably, but why the hell would they think that I would do that? Because why would he think any different? If other people did it, why wouldn't you do it? <sighs> Absolutely the fuck not. Like, if you, if they... Well, if that they requires at, him to know you. No, no, I, I got that. I'm saying if, it, if they looked at anything that I had written for that publication, where I, I had literally, like, talked about the need for capitalism to end, I had talked about... Oh, you yeah, know, but I, a lot I, of white people I, say that and, you know... I, I know, I know, but I, I talked about, you know... Uh, it's an it's and, edgy little lefty thing. No I know, seriously. I know, I know. I talked about Canada's you know complicity and Haiti being the way that it is. I, I Like, I talk about a lot of... You Canadians do tend to be a little bit dramatic with your anti-capitalism. And oh, I wonder yeah, if part of it is just your... No, we're not dramatic. Your little, little brother resentment of America. No one no, takes it seriously, that. guys. No, you know, you know why it is, though? You know why you it guys is? guys salute Nazis. Uh-huh. <laughs> Come on, that's we true. Know. No, you know why that is is because uh, if you look at um, if you look at the natural resources companies on the African continent, do you know that something like like sixty percent or more of natural resource companies operating in Africa are Canadian companies? Like we are, we are basically just a. I mean, it's been described this way: we are three mining companies in a trench coat. We're not yeah. a real country, right? Yeah, and, and yeah, so we can be, as you say, a little bit dramatic with our anti-capitalism. But I mean, I came, I come at that from a very principled place, and basically saying that Canada is one of the most exploitative countries in the entire world. So 
knowing that that's just not the kind of stuff that I talk about. And also, I've been very critical of black people, um, both in that publication and outside of it. There is nothing in my author's history or my, my, uh, my, my column history that should indicate that I'm interested in writing a piece like that. And they asked me to do it anyway. And I was like, that's fucking it. You know, but Absolutely this is not. Okay, but you know, you realize we're just talking about you now. Like, we're just talking about what you're willing to I, do. I, I know. I, so what I'm trying to say is that, like, it, it really just comes down to a matter of, do you have self-respect or do you not? Like, yes, I'm, I'm giving myself as a personal example. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I can actually live with myself. But it's not just the example. I think it, it, it's, I'm not, I'm not saying you're being narcissistic. I'm saying that ultimately what we're talking about is the mindset of people in situations like you and me. Yeah. Right. Where we're, we're we're diaspora people trying to figure out how to live a, live a dignified life in the United States or whatever. Yeah. It's about us. It yeah. is about us. It's not about the larger world. It's not about uh you know the this the, the, like for example, me me getting seeing these tweets about these uh, diaspora Chinese working for Bloomberg or Wall Street Journal and talking shit about China and a lot of like people the the tiny little sliver of diaspora who give a shit like me. Mm. are all worried about it and we think that it matters and it doesn't it th- no nobody in china matters the balance of power between china and the united states has has nothing to do with those people those people don't they're not players in this the people who get mad about it are people who are struggling with assimilation into the society and seeing that these two societies are in conflict with each other or these two but cultures you are in have to with live with the fallout of that on a day-to-day basis right but but i'm saying ultimately it is about us and how we live with it it's not yeah. a bigger story than that you know no no what, what, so what i'm saying is when the, when when somebody like wei ling ling mm-hmm. says shit like that on behalf of the wall street journal chinese americans have to live with that like okay so what well, it fucking at? sucks when your coworkers are coming up to you and saying, "Hey, uh, do you think China's trying to take over the world?" And you're stuck, like, "What the fuck, man?" Okay, but it ultimately still is just about Chinese diaspora. It's not about the larger yeah. issues of China. No, no, no. I, I got that issue. You know. Yeah. So what I'm saying is what, like, so what do people hear? What, like, how do they respond to that? Because when you have somebody that goes into a publication as that has as large a platform as the Wall Street Journal does, and basically just shits on China, you know, your your country of historic origin. What like what, what is doesn't it make it harder for you as a Chinese American, both in the workplace, socially, etc.? Because I know for a fact when I see black people, talk, okay, for example, Nigerians will do this really embarrassing fucking thing. They'll say, oh, you know, before the British came and colonized Nigeria, you know, we were backwards. This is oftentimes like uh, evangelical Christians who say that, well, before, before Christianity came to, came to Africa, we were just a primitive and backwards people, which is absolutely fucking not true. But, and they know it too. Um, but it makes life more difficult for me as a black person when they say shit like that, which is why I find it very important, especially like, you know, given my historical knowledge and background and so forth, to push back on it and say, no, you're, you're just wrong. You're, not only are you wrong, you're stupid and you're brainwashed. Don't you have any yeah, self-respect? But- it, look, it yes, it makes think, life. Th- think of think of somebody younger. Think of somebody younger when they see, uh, let's say, like me and like a thirty-something, forty-something-year-old black person arguing back and forth about whether it was a good thing that Africa was colonized and it was a good thing that we were enslaved and brought to the Caribbean. Are they going to see themselves in the person that has a lot of personal pride and says, "Absolutely not. No, it wasn't." Like I'm, I'm not better off as a black person or 
diasporic African person for having been in, for my ancestors having been enslaved. We didn't need them. We didn't need them to. We didn't need them to to learn about the history me, of the world. We didn't need them to learn to read and write to build their own societies. We already had that. Let me ask you a question for the regarding Gazans or Palestinians in Israel. Do you think that they're better off under the Hamas concept of a one state? Let's drive Israel out. Let's just they're not they were not supposed to be here. They're colonizers. The Mizrahi Jews that were here before, we're fine with them. This ain't about anti-Semitism. I don't want the Israeli settlers here. They're gone. Mm. Let's fight. Let's go to war. Or do you think it would be better for them to accept this idea of a democratic Israel that tried to integrate them and they would have to go through generations, if not basically forever, being seen as sort of an underclass, but there were liberal Israeli Jews that, you know, said nice things about them and they became sort of uh, like a diaspora in their own country. That's the end of part one of a two-part podcast. The second part is available on our Patreon feed. If you want to listen to it, become a supporter over at patreon.com slash planamag. Thank you.